Why is God so angry? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How could God allow so much science just proves the Bible? Good. How can the how Bible can say the earth was created in six days? How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? Every good satire needs humor, irony, exaggeration, and more. The goal of any satire is always to expose and criticize stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of whatever the topic the story is based on. So if it's a love story or history, um, whatever it may be, all these things kind of shape up and make the satire. The Old Testament book of Jonah is just like that. There's irony, lots of exaggeration, humor. In fact, the four chapter book reads like an ancient kind of satire. Of course, our main character, or at least the character in this ancient style satire being Jonah the prophet. The only other time we read and hear about this Jonah, who happens to be the prophet, is during the time of King Jeroboam. Um, he was a terrible, horrible king, and Jonah prophesies in favor of this king. At the same time, a different prophet, um, Amos, prophesies against Jeroboam, saying um, that he will lose in the battle. So even before we jump into this book, we are somewhat cynical and I think we should be suspicious about this character, Jonah the prophet. So chapter 1 introduces us to this prophet again who is called by God, quote, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for, the, for their evil, God says, has come up before me. Remember, he is a prophet. So his job is to respond to God's call, but he does the exact opposite. You start to see the irony and kind of the feel of the book. And so what does he do? Quote, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord as if he could. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, which is far west, literally far west from Nineveh. Verse 4, uh, the first chapter says, So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. End quote. So we've got a prophet who is supposed to respond. And he hears the word of the Lord, and what does he do? The exact opposite. Friends, in an interesting way, the book at the end, and I encourage you to read it, it's just four chapters, it calls the reader, who is you and I, to an inward reflection using Jonah as the mirror. Jonah, as I said before, is supposed to be the prophet of God, bringing God's word to the people. But what we find in the book, funny enough or interestingly enough, is a rebellious, selfish character who doesn't listen to God and is actually apparently not happy with God because God is gracious with the people of Nineveh. 
Like, what's going on here? Listen to his words, Jonah's words at the end of the book in chapter 4, I believe. Quote, And he prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's giving a reason why he did what he did. He says, For I knew you're a gracious God. Well, yeah. He is God, he's gracious. But Jonah is like, For I knew you're a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. End quote. Jonah 4, 1 to 3. It's fascinating to hear a prophet go, Yeah, I didn't respond to you because I knew you were gracious. Sorry, what's going on? Um, as we know it, as the Old Testament story shapes up and continues to draw itself and become what it is, we learn that God's plan from the beginning is to bless all the nations of the world through the nation of Israel. Israel wasn't chosen by God for her own sake. Israel was called out so that as a nation they might bring God's blessings to the nation. Unfortunately, they become stubborn and rebellious, as we can see even through their prophets and what was supposed to be a way of life that encompasses other nations into God's mercies becomes eth ethnocentrism. In other words, what that means is they turn their focus inward. Does that sound familiar? Does it? I mean, it, it does to me. This is a 21st century Christian illusion. Me and mine. And I think it's an illusion because God calls us to be a blessing to the other nations. I think without saying it, we live in a way that we say, no, 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 not my neighbors. It's my church, mine. Friends, this is the 21st century Christian illusion me and mine. I mean, we live our lives in a way that without saying it, we go, no, no, not my neighbors. It's my church. It's, it's all about me. I wouldn't want the broken people in my life to come to save in faith. No, not them. They're so long gone. I mean, just let them, let them live in their own tyranny. And just like that, in this Old Testament book, I start to see then in this rather selfish perspective and worldview from this prophet, God is still working, bringing his grace and mercy to the people of the world. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. I mean, let's, let's start and see some, some of the ways in the book of Jonah this happens. Uh, follow with me first, the sailors. You'd think that these men would be of foul language, immoral, pagans, but listen to their response in the first chapter after the experience and know who exactly Jonah was. Quote, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord says the pagan, have done as it pleased you. I mean, this is a pagan coming to faith going, Oh Lord, you have done as it pleased you. 
End quote from Jonah 1.14. Do you see the irony? And yet the beautiful coming to the awareness of God, of the God of the universe by the heathen. Secondly, when Jonah finally drags his feet into Nineveh and gives a five words, it's a five word sermon. Not, I mean, he could have done more. He's a prophet. Five words. The people repent. What? And quote from chapter, five, chapter 3, verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. End quote. I mean, just the irony in this book is beyond measure. And the picture that this prophet by Jonah, this prophet named Jonah is painting, the picture is just... Uh, this news turned the city around to the point that the king of this evil, evil city, Nineveh, responds as well in repentance. And I'll read again, quote, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out to Almighty God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that, in, that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. Friends, what then do we do with this? How do we respond? How do we continue to respond to the invitations of Jesus through his spirit to live as people who are not self-centered and selfish like Jonah and Israel? How do we not fall into the temptation of believing that others are not worthy of God's grace and or compassion? How do we not close the door into hope with our own natural sense of ideologies? How do we facilitate and build hope? First in our inner life as individual, but also in our life together as a church in 2021, in a very polarized world. How do we do that? How do we not become like Jonah, being called to go and to, to, to go and preach the gospel to the lost and go, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to do that. How do we not see the pagans coming to faith and complain and be selfish? How do we not? And how do we? Bring the good news of Jesus, the Savior, to the world. Friends, as I was thinking and responding and just forming and listening to the Spirit, I think for me, a simple response begins at my dinner table. So a simple response could begin at your dinner table or maybe at work 
or with your budget or with your friends, whatever it may be, it begins with us in a very practical way. The message of hope is not something we hold dear as a coat and only wear it once during the winter when it's cold. No, the message of hope is to the nations. Let me pray for us and respond to this invitation. So Spirit, we allow you to confront us where you need to, to encourage us to go forth where we need to keep going. Father, I pray again that you forgive us for being selfish and being about ourselves. God, let us not slip into this idea that we're it, that we have arrived, that we're perfect, that we are at the center of your message of hope. No, God, help us to see your heart as it is. So Spirit, influence our decisions, influence our thinking. Direct us today and forever. Amen.